the first question that I always ask is why you're running for Congress. Well, my wife calls it temporary insanity, but I, <laughs> I'll tell you, uh, th- this is uh, something, I'm one of those, uh, I'll call it a reluctant politician. I got into politics originally because I saw my local town uh, really being in chaos. I had my own private practice, which I still have as a certified financial planner. And and what I saw was an opportunity for me to help uh, serve the public. And I did that as a township supervisor, same position that Candace Miller actually held, and uh, and then when I saw our state really in chaos again, there was a call to public service, and I, I went up against another incumbent. One, as a, as a state representative, served there for the last five and a half years. Pretty proud of our record of what we've done. I, I think you can say the state is better off today than it was five and a half years ago. But uh, now we see our country in the same situation and um, a call to service, and it truly is a call to service. It's... Uh, Anybody that's looking to run for the seat, um, myself in particular, I would prefer to be home and in my business and in the comforts without the public scrutiny, but uh, we can't allow our country to go down the path it's been going with the amount of debt that it's incurred without good people stepping forward to say, hey, listen, we got to fix this and let's let's get our country back on the right path. So let's start there. What would be the first thing you do if elected to Congress to get the nation uh, on that path? Well, there's no doubt. Well, I'm a financial planner, so for me, it's it's all about the finances. You fix the finances, everything else falls in line. A lot of the problems start going away. When you see, uh, when you look at divorces and whatnot, oftentimes it's because of financial trouble. Our country is in that same kind of trouble with over 19 trillion dollars of debt. I wrote something five years ago or so when it was somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 trillion, and here it is. We've doubled that now, and and uh, the first. The first order of business is absolutely getting the deficit under control so we can start controlling the debt and bringing that debt level down. If we don't do that, our country's in trouble, and we're going to be owing a lot of countries and a lot of people money, and that's what causes wars, and this is not the path we want to go down. So what would you cut first? Well, when you look at what you cut, it's just like what we did at the state level. There was a lot of very, very, very difficult decisions that had to be made. I thought it was normal at the state level to be – I was on appropriations. I thought it was normal to daily go through a tunnel of signs of people that really did not like what we were doing. But it had to be done. What had to be first? I, you know, I'm going to tell you what I, my experience with budgets is you take the budget, you look at it, and say, what needs to be cut? What don't do we not need? We need to focus our priorities primarily, primarily on, on defense. We need to make sure that that is taken care of. Our infrastructure has to be taken care of. Everything else is secondary. We need to make sure that, that we as a country remain strong, we got to re- remain. Uh, our infrastructure needs to remain in place where we have uh, we can get to work on a daily basis. We don't have problems like Flint, where uh, the money was spent uh, erroneously through the years, and where it should have been spent on fixing its infrastructure. If we focus on our priorities, everything else will come into play. If we don't have the money, we can't spend it. Two plus two is four. It's easy math, and when you apply easy math to anything, everything works. Would you cut uh, social programs like, uh, or, or, or some of the big ticket items like uh, Social Security, Medicare, which are quite costly, of course? Well, Social Security isn't an entitlement. We've all paid into that. And that's the thing that uh, drives me crazy when I hear people talk that Social Security is an entitlement. It's not. 
Uh, some of the other programs are. Uh, I can tell you I was a part of, uh, there's probably twenty or 30,000 kids. Now, some people aren't going to like this. Twenty or 30,000 kids on the bridge card program in the state of Michigan. My One of my children actually applied for it and got, uh, uh, I think it was a couple hundred dollars a month. I said, you got to be kidding me. I'm not going to sign for that. My daughter said, you don't need to. Well, I, I, went, I went to bat. The first month I was in office, we wrote a letter, a few of us, as to the problem. By April 1st of the year I took office, Twenty or 30,000 kids were kicked off the program by uh, Maura Kerrigan because they didn't need it. That wasn't what it was about. So these social programs, uh, these entitlements are part of the problem. And I can tell you, I, 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 as an employer, I had an employee that once I really liked, I was going to hire, and, and you know what she told me? She says, can you wait another month because that's when my unemployment runs out. So it's really a disincentive for a lot of people. There's good intentions behind some of these programs, but we need to get people back to work and want to get to work. You're one of five Republicans running in the 10th District. What sets you apart from the other candidates? Well, you know, number one, I'm a business owner that went into public service at the very bottom level. When I say the bottom level, it's the, it's the one that touches the people the most, and it's as a township supervisor. I then went on as a state representative, and, uh, and so the last 12 years, that's what I've been doing. So I've got that touch with the locals, but I've got the business experience. I've got the finance. This is the finances of our country are probably our biggest challenge, and that's, that's the traits I have as a budgeter, as a, as a reformer, to get things done. How would you describe your relationship with Democrats in the legislature? Oh, I think I think pretty good. I think this is the that, and that, I, I forgot to mention that earlier. When you talk about the biggest thing I bring to the table, ninety-eight percent of my legislation that I've had my colleagues vote on, I, I let me rephrase that: ninety percent of my colleagues have voted for my legislation. I make sure my legislation is solid with both Democrats and Republicans. I get 85% of the independent vote in my district. Uh, when people ask me, uh, do you represent Democrats or Republicans? I says, no, no, I represent you. Let's not focus on the party, on my literature. I, I don't put my party affiliation because I want them to know me first, not my party. I don't want them to vote for me because of my party. I'm proud of my party but I'm more proud of what I've accomplished individually. Uh, The reason I ask the question is because, of course, we see a lot of uh, political divisiveness uh, nationally, uh, even to a certain degree here uh, in Michigan. What can you do, what have you done to sort of get past that? Well, you know, I, I've, I've seen it happen in the House very rarely. Eighty-five percent of our, our bills in the, in, in the state level are bipartisan. Uh, and I did have early on, there was, uh, there was one of my colleagues on the Republican side that went up and took, it was right when we took over control and went ahead and started bashing the Democrats. And I looked at him sitting on the windowsill, and he, he looked pretty proud of his accomplishments of what he said. And I looked over at him. And I gave, I, I, I gave him a little wave to come over and talk to me. We sat on the windowsill. I said, don't you ever do that again. A lot of those guys are my friends, and they're your, they're your friends. And for you to talk that way only is going to cause more division. Let's cut that. Let's get down to business. Let's get things done because we all benefit if we do the right thing. One of the issues that tends to divide people, uh, particularly uh, in this uh, country, has to do with gun violence. I mean, we saw uh, what happened in Orlando. On the one hand, people don't want that to happen anymore. On the other hand, they also don't want necessarily to give up 
a basic right that's spelled out in the Bill of Rights? Can we have it both ways? And what would you do if you were elected in Congress to find a middle ground if there is one? Well, let, let me just, uh, there's no such thing as gun violence. It's not gun violence. It's people violence that use a gun. It's people violence that use a knife. It's people violence that use their fists. It's people violence. It's, 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 it's mostly, I'm going to say, mental instability by people. And, and that's the problem. It's not the gun. It's the, it's the, it's the person behind the gun. And you've heard that many times, but it's very, very true. We have to invest more in, in mental health in, in that arena, more so than anything else. The guns aren't the issue. Uh, you know, I can, we can, for every uh, situation you might bring up, I, there's probably another situation we can talk about that a, a, a person had a gun and was able to avert a bad situation with somebody that was violent, that could have caused a lot of deaths. But because they had a gun, a good law-abiding citizen had a gun, they were able to avoid a situation. So that's not the issue. It's not gun violence. It's people violence. It's people that are causing the problems. It's mental instability. Uh, but is it illness. always mental instability? I mean, is there any science behind that? I mean, well, sure. statistics to back that claim? Well, up? why would you ever shoot somebody? Why would you ever shoot? Because of some mental if Somebody broke into my home. Somebody broke into your home. Wouldn't you be, glad, not... you had, wouldn't you be glad you had a gun? <laughs> Chances are that person that broke into your home has a gun. Wouldn't you like to have a gun to offset that? Sometimes it's terrorism, too, as was the case uh, apparently in Orlando and in yeah. San Bernardino. Any, any, any law that we would pass, any law that we would pass, would not prevent a terrorist from having a gun. And so what, how would we prevent a terrorist from having a gun or, or, or at least make it difficult? Is there, any, is there anything we can do to keep guns no, out of the hands I, of terrorists? I, 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 I don't know that there is anything you can do to prevent a terrorist from having a gun. Uh, what laws would do is prevent good people from having guns and a terrorist would still have the guns. So my, my stance on that is very simple is we need to start addressing the core problem. Why are these terrorists there? Why, why are these terrorists coming to our country and, and doing this and, and creating terror, creating this, this craziness? And, and there's a lot of reasons behind that. Which brings me to uh, where things are as far as the national campaign. Of course, uh, Donald Trump is likely to, unless something bizarre happens, uh, he will be the nominee. Are you concerned, as you run for Congress, are you concerned about uh, uh, any effect uh, that uh, him being at the top of the ticket might have uh, on you or other Republicans running this fall? No, I, I don't. And I, and I believe the people have spoken across the country who they believe that they're candidate should be. And, and so I, I support that. Uh, from the standpoint of, is it going to affect me uh, down the ticket in November? No. And, I, and let me go back to our vote in the House of Representatives where we got rid of straight, pit, straight party ticket voting, which I think is very important because Donald Trump has got his campaign to run. I've got mine to run. And, and just like when I was a township supervisor, uh, although I, was, uh, I, I won, I felt like I was running my campaign back then against Barack Obama, not against my opponent. And so getting rid of straight ticket uh, voting, I think, is very important because it's going to allow people to pick who they like. If they like Donald Trump but they don't like uh, Tony Forlini or whoever else is on the ticket, they can make those choices rather than doing straight ticket voting. Or vice versa. Or vice versa. Or vice versa. So so I think it's very important. It's very, very important that... Uh, People understand now that they that we don't have straight party ticket voting, and 
pick the candidate that you believe is is the right and appropriate candidate. I think Macomb County in particular is known for that, uh, where they selected uh, Rick Snyder as the governor at the same time they picked Mark Hackle within a 60-some percentage range of of their candidate for county executive. So Macomb County is known for their severe independent thinking, and that's where I come from. Has anything that uh, uh, Trump said concerned you at all? Personally, well, well I th- I think that uh, many times he says things that I wish he wouldn't have said, mm-hmm. and uh, and but that's listen. He lives by what he says. I'll live by what I've said, and and uh, uh, he seems to have uh, struck a nerve with the American people with with some of the things he said. Sometimes I'll, I'll grimace and think, my God, what did he say that for? But then you see the American public seems to agree, and so um, that might be a bit refreshing if not unnerving at times. If you were elected to Congress and he came to you, if you were president, uh, for money to build a wall uh, to uh, uh, separate uh, uh, the United States and Mexico, would you vote for that? Well, that's that's a hypothetical question. I will tell you. Yes, it is. (laughs) I I will tell you. (laughs) But it's a possibility for whomever does get elected. Yeah, I believe we need to protect our borders. A a country without borders is not a country. So we, we need to. I've traveled all over the world. And let me tell you something. When I go into some of these countries, there there is a vetting process of getting into these countries, be it China. Uh, I've been down to uh, Santiago, uh, Chile. I've been down to Buenos Aires. I've been to Europe, and they, they got borders. Uh, and, and there's there's you know they know you're coming and they know you're leaving. We need to have that same kind of process here. Would you support a temporary ban on Muslims coming into the no. U.S.? I think that's I think that's. That, that, that is not the proper way of looking at it. I think we, we need to really vet people, not cultures. What would you like to say that we haven't covered uh, so far in our conversation? What, what, what do you want voters to know? Well, I think one of the important things is, you know, I've been five and a half years in the legislature and uh, voting uh, continuously and, and working continuously hard for the people in my district, uh, so hard that I have never missed a vote. Uh, there are very few people can say that they've spent their their term in the legislature and never missed a vote. It's, that's a rarity, and I think that's the hard work that's going to be needed in Washington. I think it's the it's the fiscal discipline that's going to be needed in Washington. Uh, I've I've favored a balanced budget amendment. I've put that put that forward uh, to uh, to get it called Convention of the States, Article Five, Convention of the States. We need to get a balanced budget amendment so we spend just what we have. Two plus two is four. Remember that. Two plus two is four. And I've also uh, put a, a resolution forward just before we left on break that I'd like to see an Article Five convention on the political process itself and the money being spent because I think people are being disenfranchised from this process by dark money, money that nobody knows where it's coming from, and nobody's taking responsibility for it. And I think that that needs to change. I think the American people need to take back control of this electoral process.